All right, let's get started. We'll have some stragglers coming in. I see them. Go ahead and have your Bible open to Romans 8. Uh, Jenny has something to say to us right quick. No. Children's Christmas program um, will be underneath the pavilion, and we are serving dinner that night. So there's two shifts on here. Um, there's an early shift, which will be some uh, food prep in the kitchen um, and some table decorations, very, very minimal. And then the second shift will be helping serve the food and then a little bit of cleanup. So I think our deacons are on board to do all the all the heavy December the 10th, that's the second sheet. So and just if y'all will make sure that it gets all the way around, and then whoever has this at the end, if you will come find me in the nursery and hand it back to me, that would be fabulous. Any questions? Okay, thanks, Wally. Thanks, Wally. Yes, ma'am. One more thing. Um, I sent you an, an email a couple of weeks ago, we're, we decided not to do the Christmas party thing because it was just too much conflict. But instead, we're going to gather up at the Barry's house, like we originally said, on uh, Sunday night, the 31st. All right? And then and it, like, roughly 6 to 9, I think is what I said. If you want a party that stays up till midnight, you got to go somewhere else because we're not doing that. No, there won't be anybody awake at my house at 12 o'clock. So Sunday night, the 31st, at Guy and Patty Berry's, and uh, bring a finger food like we said before. So I'll keep reminding you of that. That's, that's the big thing we've got coming up right now. All righty. Let me pray before we study the Bible. Father, thank you for uh, the Lord's Day, our time together again. Uh, we need your help. We ask for your help as we look at these verses. Use them to encourage us, not to baffle us or make us mad, but to encourage us. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read the verses we're going to look at for a couple of Sundays now, maybe three. <clears throat> um, back in the summer, I gave this study in Romans 8, this clever title, All the Way Home, 
Actually, I stole it from Derek Thomas, how the gospel brings us all the way home. So I, I lifted it from him on Romans 8. And we've come to really the heart of the matter, the heart of the chapter, if not the heart of the book, if not the heart of the New Testament, if not the heart of the Bible. And it's these three verses. So let me read them. They go from 28, we're in Romans 8, from 28 to 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also, past tense, glorified. All right, let me start by throwing out a question. Tell me what these things have in common. And they do have something in common. Ready? Nuclear weapons, guns, powerful prescription drugs, baseball bats, and fast cars. What do those things have in common? Danger. Danger what? Us. Danger if? Used. No, not used. Not used. Guns, good drugs, baseball bats, fast cars. Dangerous if what? Misused. In the hands of the wrong people. That's what you, that's what you meant, right? Absolutely. They're, all, they're dangerous if misused. Now, could we put the Bible in with that group? Dangerous if misused. Especially famous verses like 828. I'm telling you, 828 can be disastrously misused. So, what we're going to do is try to learn how not to do that. By, misused by people who don't know what it means. And the first thing that comes to mind, people don't know anything about the Bible, what does it mean? Well, it means that this hard thing that I'm in right now, it's going to turn out right. Doesn't mean that. The verse does not mean that. All right. Uh, like real estate, when you're studying the Bible, real estate, you say location, location, location. And when you're studying the Bible, you always say context, context, context. So, the famous 828 needs the whole Bible for its context. It really does. It needs the whole Bible. It needs the whole New Testament for its context. It needs the whole book of Romans, all 16 verses, I mean chapters, for its context. It especially needs the whole 8th chapter for its context. And it especially needs 17 to 27 that comes before it for its context. But you have to have 29 and 30, or you have no hope of understanding 828, right? In fact, they really ought to be one verse. 28, 29, and 30 ought to be one verse because it's a complete thought. And if you lift 28, not, never mind all the rest of the context, but if you lift it just away from 29 and 30, you're going to misunderstand it. All right? Um, all right, I already read it. So 
Let's jump right in. You look at verse 28 and you say, the famous verse 28, and you say, why is that so often so hard to believe? It sounds great. It's sweet. Why is it so hard to believe? I'm struggling to believe it right now. Why? One word, life, right? Everybody has things that have happened to them, and you say, there's no way. Any good can come from this. There's just no way. But isn't it interesting how Paul starts the thought? Uh, well, actually, he starts it with and, which tells you that he hasn't changed the topic from what's gone before. And what is the, the, the bigger uh, theme of the chapter even though Matt might have said something different. But the real theme of the chapter is assurance. And the theme within the theme is suffering. Remember 8.18? Look back at 8.18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's the thought that he's developing right now. Um, but we look at 8.28 by itself and you also notice that Paul says, we know. Now, he's, he's pretty sure about this. We know. Well, how do we know? How is this true? Why is this true? What are you talking about, Paul? You haven't been through a whole lot to say something like this. Well, this is a little beginning outline, and we're going to develop this. So here's, here's the story. All the way home. All the way home is the glory of verse 18. See it? Verse 18, the glory. So what I'm going to suggest is the all things of 828. You see it in verse 28? The all things of 828, which must include everything. Everything. Now, imagine the worst. Go ahead and think. Your 20-year-old daughter is at a concert in, in Israel seven weeks ago, and she gets blown away by Hamas. Just go from there. Go down from there. Every, this cannot be true. It cannot be true unless it includes everything. All right? So what I'm going to say is everything that happens to you in your life is serving. So think of this as the road to glory, right? So everything that happens to you serves to keep you on that road and push you down that road. Got it? Everything that happens to you, everything that has ever happened to you, everything that will happen to you is serving to keep you on this road and to push you down the road. Not only that, you have this little uh, road within the road, which is in verse uh, 29 and 30, four new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Uh, we'll come to this later. We won't get to these words today. But once you're in this pipeline... You can't get out. 
You can't get out. If that's not true, throw the whole thing out. So you've got like double guardrails that keep you on the road to glory. Not only is it everything that happens to you, but this pipeline right here, once you're in it, you're in it, and you can't get out of it. You can't get yourself out of it. We'll see that when we get to the end of the chapter. So what I want to do is just look at uh, kind of the, the, the words, just kind of break down the words in verse 28 a little at a time. And he starts by saying, and we know, which tells us that he, this is connected to the previous verses. There's no new topic here. He's still developing what he said in 8.18, and he's also still developing what he said in verse 1. Remember verse 1? There's no condemnation. You cannot be condemned. You cannot be thrown out for those who are in Christ Jesus, in this pipeline. And he says... We know, now that's interesting because there are times when I would say, well, I don't know that. How do you know that? Well, he says, we know this. Now, it's interesting because he just said something that he doesn't know. See how this is sort of uh, juxtaposed to verse 27? No, it's not 27. 26? We don't know how to pray. Now, Matt talked to you last time. We don't know how to pray. Sometimes you just groan. Just get on the floor and roll around and groan because I don't know how to pray. But isn't it interesting that it goes from that to saying, now he, but here's something I do know. I do know this. Um, this is something every Christian either does know or better get busy learning. This is something you have to know. You have to, it's like, a, it's an undeniable truth. It's a given. Let me say it like this again. If the God of the Bible exists, 828 has to be true. The word is sovereign, sovereignty, control over everything. Either that's true of God. Now tell me if you think I'm going too far here. Either that's true of God, full and exhaustive sovereignty, or there is no God. There's no in-between. You've either got 828 or atheism. Those are your only options. Anybody want to push back? I love the way uh, R.C. Sproul put it. He said, if there's one maverick molecule in the universe, there is no God. One maverick molecule. It's out of control. Well, that's why we got to be like the father or the, the son who needed help and said, I believe, I believe, help me my That's right. Yeah. I don't know that all this will ever make really good sense. Um, second thing, God is, God is at work. We're just we're kind of breaking down what's in verse 28. God works. He is active. He is, he is at work. Uh, 
we're not deists, right? We don't think that God just wound up the universe and is letting it run down. Or we, we also don't think he just in, is involved with the big things. If he's controlling the big things, he has to control the little things. He has to control everything. And again, if that's not right, then verse 28 cannot be true. But it says that God works. Now, the, the translations are a little different here. Um, let's see. The King James says, we know that all things work together for good. What's kind of odd about putting it like that? We know that all things work together? That's kind of saying that things work. But in the bigger context, we have to say it's God that works, not the things. Yes, that's better. The NAS, God causes all things to work together. The ESV that we read in here, all things work together for good. But the NIV, does anybody have an old NIV in here? I do. Let's hear it, big and loud. There you go. Stop right there. God works. That's all we needed. In all things, God works. So God is working everywhere, always. Now, that's, that can be encouraging or it can be terrifying, right? Because I think of some things that I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure about and I'm, and oh, God's, he's behind that? Okay. Let's try another word. How about for good? God is working for good, for the good, for your good. Well, we'll come to that. But we've got to define good, don't we? He doesn't say all, all things are good. That would be ridiculous, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't say all things are good. Um, but what we're saying is that God is able to take all things and use them for a bigger purpose that is good. Actually, we have to go further than that. God has set in motion a good purpose that includes all things. But the bad things are still bad things, right? Paul is not here teaching us to ignore anything or say anything is good when it's not. I would suggest that 828 is about God. It's not about us. It's about something God is able to do that shows how great God is. He is so great that he can do what 828 says, even though I can't wrap my head around it at all. God permits what he hates to accomplish what he loves. That's a good way to think of it. Right. Right. It's all about defining good. If you define good properly, a lot of your problems with 828 will go away. So what does good mean? Here's where we get in trouble. Because we Americanize the definition of good. Now, what do I mean by that? We Americanize it. 
It's all about things, not only, not only that, my comfort, but it's about, um, like I started off with, I'm in this hard situation and it's going to turn out right. I get fired, I'm going to get a better job with a bigger salary. That's what it means. It, things are going to turn out right for me. Well, that's American. If you, if you do that badly enough, you change this great promise into a lie from hell. It's kind of like uh, you can Josephize your circumstances. Now, Joseph is a, it's a great story, but his, his story really turns out, you know, he's, he goes through this horrible thing for 15 years, and it turns out great. And we can, we can read that and say, well, my story is going to do the same thing. But it may not. You may just go in the hospital and just die. It may not turn out right. So we can't Americanize the promise. You see what I'm saying? We can't think of it as... But here's the problem. If we look at this verse as wealthy Americans, then what does it mean... For the other 90% of Christians in the world who don't think like that because they live from one day to the next or one week to the next. They don't think that way. So uh, if that's what it means, then not only is it shallow and superficial, it's not even true, right? Things don't automatically work out in the end for, for Christians, for our comfort and my story turns out right, it doesn't doesn't mean that. I have a print in my office, a big print uh, of a painting, and the painting is of a little group of Christians, and they're praying huddled on the floor of the Colosseum in Rome in the first century or second century, and a couple of huge lions are coming, lions and tigers are coming up out of a trap door right next to them, obviously about to eat them, maul them and kill them, and eat them, which would have been a common sight in Rome in the first three centuries of the church. So let's ask the question. I mean, those people might have been some of the first to read this verse. Was it good? Was it wonderful? Was it pleasant to be killed and eaten by a tiger? No. But was this verse still true for those people? Well, if it's true, it had to be. Absolutely. And we have to have faith that that's what yes. means and that's what it That's right. Faith is a big, it's believing something you can't see it. Well, then what does it mean? What is good? Well, the answer is easy. It's right here in verse 29. Conform to the image of his son. To be made like Jesus, who is God, that's an obvious good. So the good God is always working toward is character change. For starters, character change, more like Jesus. Um, but there's more. Look at verse 30. Now, Paul lays out this pipeline that goes all the way to heaven. Verse 30, glorified. That's the same thing as the future glory of verse 18. So the good ultimately is to arrive there. 
So you know what death is? It's getting, it's, it's jumping to the front of the line. That's all it is. It's getting to jump to the front of the line. Now think about that and that'll change your whole perspective. It's getting to the, to the ultimate good, right? So the text doesn't say all things are good, nor should we ever say such a ridiculous thing. It says in all things God is working for a great purpose that's way out there. Now, now let's think about that phrase, all things. So all things has to mean all things. So the assumption is, and the Bible teaches this from the first page to the last page, that God is in control of everything that happens in this universe, every single solitary event. If he is God, that has to be true. That's why we said either this verse is true or there is no God. Now, I know, the, I know the questions that are raised. What about our freedom? What about our choices? Hold that thought. We're going to come to that next week. There's too much to talk about at one time, but we're going to come back to that. And I've got a whole bunch of references here. I mean, we could, I, literally we could read them for an hour that make it clear that God is in control of everything that happens. That's, that's absolutely indisputable. If, you re, if you're a Bible reader. So all things in verse 28, it has to be all things, everything in your life. The good things, now we have no problem with that, right? The good things. Or the bad things, and I see how it worked out for good. We have no problem with that. But it has to include bad things. It has to include tragic things, senseless things, stupid things that we do. Stupid, senseless things that people do to us, our own failure, um, and it has to include all of our sin. It has to, right? Our own free choices that are sinful and destructive. It has to include that. It has to include everything. All of that must be and is included in the promise of 828. It, uh, look back at, oops, look back at 818 again. It includes... Uh, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so it has to include all the sufferings of this present time. Look at verse 35. Go down to 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? has to include all of those things. Right? And you say, how can God do that? And I will say to you, that's the point. He is great enough that he can do that. That's the point. That's the point of the verse. He is so great, he is able to do this. Now, the Bible is filled with illustrations of it. We, again, we, don't, we can't talk about them. There's just too many. Joseph being the, the example that comes to mind first. Jacob... Um, how can God do this? What does it tell us about him? And how can sin and suffering, even sin and suffering, be part of this good, this plan, this purpose? And a lot of the answer to that, and this, this is a preview for next time, goes back to what kind of a person is God? So you can take 28, 29, and 30, and you can read those by themselves, and it can, come, it can be very hard, can be very harsh. But when you include it in the kind of person God is, that makes all the difference.
All right. Now, you come to looking again at verse 28. It says, for those who love God. Okay, well, here we've got a boundary. Here we've got a fence. We have a, we have a sort of a gate. In the original, that phrase is first in the sentence. So it's important for emphasis. So this is not a blanket promise for everybody in general. It's just not. That's another reason you can't just throw it at anybody. Um, it's true only for those who are on that road that starts with foreknowledge and predestination called justified. It's only true for those who are on that road. Uh, but at the beginning of verse 28, a Christian is one who loves God. Now, isn't that interesting? Why didn't Paul say those who believe the gospel? Why didn't he say for those who believe in Jesus? By the way, this little line right here, this is... Uh, behind this line is eternity past. So the foreknowledge and the predestination is before creation. I think I'm going to draw this really nice and make it a handout and, and give it to you. So don't try to draw it. Don't take a picture. I'll have a handout of it next week. I came up with that myself, by the way. Yeah, I made, a, I made that up. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get the idea of being pushed down a road. I just had the idea of trying to draw it. It helps me. Like if I can put the worst, all the worst that's ever happened to me, if I can think of it as it's keeping me on this road and pushing me a little further down this road, then that helps. That helps me. All right, I'm, again, I'm asking, why does, it, why does Paul not say for those who believe the gospel? Why does he say for those who love God? That seems like such a, uh, such a it's so subjective, those who love God. I mean, anybody can say that, right? Anybody can say that. But what does it mean? It sounds very sentimental. It can, it's, I mean, love is a word that's so watered down in our culture, it's almost meaningless. So how can you know if you love God? How can you tell? How can you tell if you love God? I say I do. I think I do. But what does that even mean? You love God, you obey His commandments. Okay, there's one. But I've got a better one. Uh, and I'm going to suggest. Better than Jesus? No. <laughs> Another, one that Paul is actually using here. I'm going to suggest that Paul did that quite deliberately in verse 28 because, are you ready for this? A good test of whether we love God just for himself, just for who he is, is how we react to adversity and suffering. Or to put it another way, how you react to this very verse, rightly understood, can tell you about your love for God. Are you following me? If you love God for who He is in Himself, then you make a commitment to Him. And when suffering comes, you don't bail. You don't quit. You don't turn your back because you know who He is. You know that this is true. You know the kind of person He is. So you endure, you persevere. Now, struggle, complain, cuss, spit, maybe quit for a while, absolutely. You will do all those things. 
That's what the, that's what the, the Psalter is. It is a record of frustrated believers cussing and spitting at God. But they're always cussing and spitting at God. They never turn their back on Him. That's the difference. So because you, you trust God and you believe this verse, even when you're confused and hurt by His providence, you'll stick it out. You might even appear to quit. Your friends might even think you've quit. But you can't quit because once you're in this pipeline, you cannot get out. It's impossible. So on the other hand, if you like God and agree to be on his team, as, far, as long as he keeps your life fairly comfortable and as long as everything works together for good in the short term, all your bad stories turn out for good, things generally go my way if you like God because you like that, then when real suffering and adversity come, you quit because you don't love him, and you never did. Do you see the difference? That's why I would suggest how you react to this verse, rightly understood, may tell you something about whether you love God. Well, I think the important word there is faith. That's, that's, Absolutely. That's the measure of how much you love God. What you just said, uh, you expect it to be uh, go your way all the time. Really that's right. And if I misunderstand this verse, that's what I'm going to think, that all my hard stories are going to turn out for good in the end, blah, 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 Hollywood, Disney story, blah, 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 ad nauseum. But you take a Disney, you take a Disney worldview, okay, there are fun movies, there are sweet songs, but you try to live out a Disney worldview and you're going to make it about two weeks. Absolutely. If anybody wants to look at this and look at these scary words and think the point here is, oh, I'm mad at God. He can't do that or any of that kind of junk. You're completely, completely missing the point. This is about encouragement and hope and comfort. The, it's right in the middle of verses about suffering. The whole 828, the, the whole context before and after is suffering. It's a, the all things is suffering. That's what it is in the context plus everything else. It's the difference between Job and his wife. Oh, how about that? Job, after tragedy wrecked his life, he worshiped. He did not turn his back on God. Now, he started wailing and complaining and cussing and spitting, and he did it for 30 chapters. But it was always at God. It was always at God. Notice that. It was always at God. And he says in chapter 13, Though he slay me, I will trust him. That's a person who believes this is true, though he lives 4,000 years before Paul wrote this. His wife, on the other hand, says, curse God and die. If that's what God is like, just quit. She might have even been saying, kill yourself. Again, the Psalms are full of this. Lament, crying out because I'm confused and asking why and asking how long. So, Romans 8.28 has a built-in test as to whether that great promise applies to us or not. It's for those who love God. In other words, those who are committed to Him by grace when 
my life is wrecked. And those who love God won't leave him in suffering, but will persevere, believing the promise of this very verse. Um, so that's as far as I was going to go today. I went too fast. Maybe we're sitting here, we're thinking, well, I, I think I love God. I, I would say I do, but I don't know. I don't know that I feel any affection for God. It, it is easy to say, right? But here's something we can do. God is a person with a purpose. Now, that's the two words we're going to camp out on next time. Person and purpose. He is a person with a purpose, and he is great enough, great enough to do the impossible thing that this verse said, that 828 says. And that purpose is good, though at many times in my life, I will not understand how that could possibly be true. But it's okay, it's still true. So it may be that just, just that, just thinking about that this morning might uh, kindle a new, fresh love for God right here all right so we're going to camp out on because really what gives this comfort is the kind of person god is what makes these scary words especially that one predestination you put that together with the kind of person god is it makes all the difference in the world for knowledge for new and then the big word is purpose in there that's that's huge word in this little 28, 29, 30 is the word purpose. Purpose. In the NIV, the little heading above uh, 828 says God's eternal unfailing purpose through the gospel. Eternal unfailing purpose. That's good. And then we will uh, we'll look at these these five words, we'll look at each one of them carefully and see how they're, a cha they're, a, they're an unbreakable chain. Very important. All right, we're a couple of minutes early, but we'll go ahead and stop. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this great promise of your word. We've looked at it our whole lives, and maybe that we have struggled at times to believe that it's true or we've struggled to, to understand how it could be true when we see all the suffering around us and the suffering that we've been through ourselves, senseless things, ridiculous things. And yet it is true. So encourage us this morning by your spirit and by your word. Uh, we may, some of us may especially need an encouragement this morning, this truth that you are at work for good, not that all things are good, but that you are great enough to be at work so that all things will work together into something big in the future. Encourage us with, with that, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.